0: Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase, and a member, FDIC, 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Co. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for
1: Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.
2: And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help
3: good people who fell for bad deals. First caller?
4: I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free.
3: Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal?
0: And before we get too far, I want to let you know that Rick has a new podcast called Tetragrammaton. After about four to five years of recording Broken Record, Rick decided he wanted to talk to more than just musicians. So on his new podcast, he'll be talking to actors, directors, wrestlers, business people, anyone that Rick finds interesting. So make sure to subscribe to Tetragrammaton wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to Giles. In part one a few weeks ago, Giles talked about his delicate work remastering classic Beatles albums. He also explained how he collaborated with Peter Jackson's audio team and used AI while remastering Revolver. Definitely go check out that episode if you haven't already. In part two, we'll hear Giles talk about his dad, Sir George Martin, who never second-guessed his own genius. Giles also shares hilarious stories from his time as a teenager living at his father's storied studio that was destroyed by a volcano in the Caribbean. Plus, Giles talks about the time he was fired and then rehired by the legend Martin Scorsese. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick Rubin with Giles Martin from Shangri-La. We're jumping right back into the conversation about the sensitivity around working with the Beatles' original recordings. Have you ever had an issue with, um, over time,
5: sometimes the sound on the tape changes, like the, like the top end? I've yeah. had that happen even during the making of an album. Like, an album <laughs> takes two years to make yeah. from the time you cut the tracks till the time you're ready to mix it, it doesn't sound the same.
3: Yeah, what's what's this bizarre kind of like, you know, holy grail type thing is that the Beatles recorded on on Emmy tape. And Emmy tape was higher quality than other tape. And so there's, yeah, there's 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 tape from the 70s, especially 80s, actually, where everything, the oxides are falling off the tape and and all this thing's happening, especially the 24-track tapes we used to have, exactly what you're talking about. You play it once, you can see the tape heads getting darker and darker as you're playing, and you're losing that music and that information as you're playing, that you're watching your work disappear in front of your eyes. Yes. And you realize that you made it, and then you bake the tape so it seals the oxides back on, and then you get to play it once, and then that's it. The Beatles doesn't happen. Bizarrely, it just doesn't happen. We have never had to bake a tape. I mean, yeah. we, we, we've we now transferred everything in super high resolution, and everything's backed up, et cetera, et cetera, so we don't... You know, I'm not sitting there, listeners... And pressing play, you know, maybe people would like me to be doing. But I'm not doing that. I'm actually pressing a space bar when I'm mixing. It's, uh, it's cool. It's, it's Well, it adds
5: to the it, um, miraculous nature it does, of all a, things Beatles. It
3: is It is. It is very strange. And even, you know, I suppose I'm one of the closest people in the world to it, in, in a way, which I never thought I would be or in, planned on being. But I, I still find it miraculous. I still find it miraculous that... All of these tapes, I mean, there's only there's two songs which don't have the original, original multitracks of, which there's no other band like that in the world. And this is a band that started in 1963 and finished in 69, yeah. Everything is there, and everything is, in, and everything is in the same place and is in really good condition. It's like, it's like, I suppose they were lucky as they were successful. But there was some, there's something about the Beatles, even talking to them, and even talking to my dad. I said to my dad, I was working, I do these, I do films. Well, I'm not doing, but I do also films. So I was working on this Kingsman film, I, a sort of spy capers. And I said to him, I was I was trying to work on a scene. I was struggling and it's doing with film companies. You know what they're like, they're like. I said, were you ever, did you ever think you were bad at music, dad? He that's a strange question to ask me. And he was very sick at the time. I said, because I'm struggling with this. I, you know, I always think... I can't do something, and then I end up doing it. I've done it, and then I feel like I haven't done it. And this sort of like this golem-like mentality of someone going, "You can't do this," and then, "Of course, you can." And this, I fight with my, I fight. And he goes, and he closed his eyes, and he, and he opened them. He said, "No, I, no, I always thought I was brilliant," and 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 and, and, and I had two reactions to that. It's like one is you total bastard, because like I wish I felt like that. Yeah. And the other one was, yeah, you were, you know, they were like, and I've used this analogy before, it's like surfing, you know, I know I've done good things in my life, I know that, but most of the time, and that's surfing, I've been on a wave, and it's like, this is, this is great, but most of the time, you know, you've surfed way more than I have, but physically and and spiritually, (laughs) but most of the time, I'm treading water, I'm paddling, getting hit by waves, and occasionally I might catch one. They were on a wave the whole time. like They were doing revolvers, like, we've got this idea, let's do this, let's do this. And it all worked for them. It was like, it's amazing. And they knew that. And then other people knew that, so they preserved what they were doing. There was this momentum that happened with the Beatles that has never been seen since. It's this sort of energy they had. And that's the thing that if I talk to Paul or to Ringo, when I when I like mix an album or you know, sit with him, we're a capital with Paul and we listen to Revolver together. What he senses, what he misses in his life is that band. Yes. Because it was, and you know this, because you used to have that brilliant television program with him. Yes. And you, you're the other person that spent the time with Paul talking about this stuff, yes. which is interesting. It's going back to what we're talking about making great records and doing the equipment about people. They don't know how they had what they had. No. They don't know how the four of them managed to create this surfing the wave yes. all of the time. And and if, if one of them was gonna fall off, they pulled them back on and, and carried on surfing. And that's what that's what being a that's what being a great band is. That the sum of the parts is way bigger than the individuals.
5: It's one of the great things I remember that Paul said in the in the three two one series was he talked about the first time that Ringo filled in for their drummer who wasn't doing who wasn't able to do a show and the feeling he he said he looked at John right away and it's like I hope we could keep doing this like like yeah, yeah. again they didn't know that in advance it happened yeah. and then it's like oh this is what it's this is it yeah <laughs> and it's an amazing feeling and we and we have that experience in the studio when we're working on things that we don't really know what we're doing ever yeah. and then you you hear something it's like whoa there it is. Yeah. You, and it's like, it's not because got... we did anything, but luckily we're able to say, there it is when it is.
3: Yeah. I mean, I was doing, I did this, I did this Elton Rocketman film. And, and we had a, I got a band in for that. And it's a film. So you have money and you have opportunity and all that sort of stuff. And I, I had to record a bunch of Elton stuff. And I got this band in and some of his, some of his early work, some of his records and, and the band are great. He's got an amazing, life, amazing musicians. Yes. I got this band. It was two young guys and two old guys. This guy Rob McIntosh is a mate of mine, He's a great guitar player, and these two young guys, drum and bass player. And this and the, the piano player I used, Dave Hartley. And there was this chemistry on that day in the studios. We just plowed through like six or seven songs. Not even a click track. Just like I sat there and going, well, this is easy. And you have those days, and you remember those days. We remember those days where you go, you know what? Whether it's recording Joni Mitchell or or you know, those things, you just go, Well, this is what am I doing here? And that's actually, that's one of the things. That you've always been inspirational, amazing at Rick is sitting back and letting it happen, and it's. I always said to people, "What's it like working with an artists?" And I work with actors more now <laughs> than I work with singers, but it's that thing where you go, you need to tell someone they can jump out of a plane without a parachute and they're going to land safely, because that's what it is. You need to have that ability to go, okay, you you're in a safe space, you yeah. know. This and the last thing you want, and this is what your work has shown, is that. I I don't want to work with someone and then to go back and sing the song in the bath better that night do you know what I mean that's the fear it's like this is your and that's what's actually that's one thing that studios do or occasions do that's what's changed and you you can record anywhere now if someone comes to your place here they're going to want to perform it's Rick Rubin for God's sake in this studio I'm going to want to perform and that's part of the that's bigger than any piece of equipment as well that's so important to be able to, to have that and and I suppose the Beatles had Abbey Road, and that's why whenever they went anywhere else, and they did, I mean, they made great records, and Dear Prudence was done in Trident, you know, and so was I Want You, She's So Heavy, and, you know, you know, the rooftop concert's pretty good, you know, but I love that about Abbey Road, which, you know, you been to, it, and it's like, it's, it can be, uh, it's, it's an interesting building, but Studio 2 is drab. I hate to say it, folks, but it's not. It's got a stairwell, staircase, but it shouldn't be. It's like, and what happened to Pink Floyd and the Beatles? They painted the walls with color. Yeah, they didn't need with to. With the music, with the music, they yeah. were like, had they been surrounded by everything, the records would have probably sounded different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of interesting. And they have those big
5: soft things on the walls. It's almost like a. Uh... A room in an insane asylum a little bit. It's a very big room. Not almost. It is a room (laughs) in an insane asylum. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big room. It's like a big padded, white padded room.
3: Yeah, but it has a magic to it. And you know, though, when you walk into that room, you talk to someone, your voice changes.
5: Yeah. And there is some, again, whether it's physically the space or psychologically in that we know what's happened in this room, doesn't matter. You show up to Abbey Road Studio 2 you're gonna, you're gonna do your very
3: best. Yeah, and I always think there's something about, you know, walking, this, walking in the shadows of giants. It's that Glenn Miller and Ella Fitzgerald and like their, their voices are still. I think about sound waves, sound waves never dying out. Yeah, and there's reflections of music from the past in that room, and in a way, you know, without being too hippie, like a posh hippie, I think that's, I think that's true. I just think it's true. I think you For walk sure. into you walk into a space and you're a musician and you go I can tell that something special has happened in this room. It's like a church. Yeah. No, it's you true. Know? And and it's and, true and you can, feel, you, can yeah, you can feel, feel, feel
5: it, it when you're there. And artists are not so different from each other. The reason that artists resonate in a space is because that's a good space to resonate in.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true and it's different from it's different from being at home.
5: It really is. That's the thing. It really is. Tell me about, um, you mentioned earlier, being your dad's ears. Talk about that. That's, a, that's an interesting thing, and, I, and I, I know about it, but I don't really know what it entailed. The nature of music is so, language doesn't do it justice. Yeah. So tell me about that. How it was, did it start, and what was it
3: like? It was interesting, because I, mu- I wanted to do music. I remember being on a skiing hole when I was 14, and my dad was playing the piano in the, in the hotel because he had to do an arrangement for someone. My dad was a brilliant arranger. It was snowing, I think. I didn't want to go skiing. We were in Austria, and I wanted to hang out with him. And I, and I was just sitting there, and I was watching him. And he turned to go, so, Charles, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do music, Dad. And he goes, well, I don't think you can. And <laughs> I said, why not? And he goes, I don't think you're good enough. And I was like, I was heartbroken. And, but I think I was like, I always had a slight punk mentality. If you know what, F you, I want to do it anyway. So I started busking in the underground when I was 15. You know, I was, I was playing guitar and playing... I was playing pubs, actually, when I was 15 or 16. Even though I only knew four songs, me and my mates to go and play pubs. We, we used to play Is She Really Going Out With It by Joe Jackson, but not in the middle bit, because it was too, we didn't know the chords, you know, that sort of thing. It was like, it was like you know, American Pie. Oh, it's just the songs we played. Anyway. Um, and then what happens, my dad... You know, when I was, about a year after, he started realizing, and it was when they were lining a tape machine, they started playing 10, like 15 nips to 15K. He, was, he saw the meters moving, and he realized that he wasn't, he wasn't hearing it anymore. And he asked the engineer, he goes, What's, you know, what, what frequency is that, 10 kilohertz? And I go, I can't hear that anymore. And he started realizing that he, had, he was suffering from hearing loss and hearing damage, and it was quite fast. But, you know, my dad was a brilliant man, a lovely man, but he was a terrible businessman. And he didn't, he signed away all his royalties from the records. So he, he needed to carry on working. You know, he didn't working to live like most people do. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to lose his job. So he didn't tell anyone. When he took photographs of my dad, he had long hair, like a long hair went was beyond his ears because he didn't want to hide it. He, he hid his hearing aids from people. And I started becoming his ears. And I don't know how it happened. There wasn't a progressive decision. It happened organically. He would play me stuff and I would, then listen to it and hear. I remember when the first CDs came out, the Beatles and Red Blue albums, he goes, I don't think they sound right. And they didn't sound right. Mm. They sound too bright. They sound digital. They sound... And I went into Abbey Road and had a massive argument as a 17-year-old with a mastery engineer, an old mastery engineer, who, who also probably couldn't hear as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the only person who could hear at that stage. So that's what happened. He would work on records and I would... And he would explain to me. We would sit at the piano and he would play... We'd play a scale on the piano and he'd tell me where the notes would run out for him. He got to the stage where he couldn't, at the end, he couldn't hear anything above middle C on a piano. Wow. It's like, which is quite low. It's like, I can't, I can't remember. I used to think it was a kilohertz, but it's not. It's, it's below that. To begin with, it'd be like, I'd be able to read his arrangements and know what he was trying to do. And then we'd go and record and he would never hear the top string lines. Mm-hmm. And so I knew what frequencies were really, and we've sat, like doing stuff, and I said, you know, is it, you know, this is, and I can go. This is seven k. This is this is what I don't solo stuff when I mix at all. It doesn't make any sense to me to do so. That's interesting because because I find that, like, if I'm doing Beatles stuff. I won't work on John's voice and get John's voice sounding good. I'll work on John's voice in the song. In the kind, con- always in because, the because Yeah, because I find that. Yeah, you know, it changes. Like it, like, it, like for instance, I'm, I current it was. I think a little help for your friends. I mean, where Ringo's voice was in the mix, and also how Paul's bass was dramatically affected the sound of Ringo's voice. Yes. Actually, no, sorry, where's Paul's bass was in the mix? If it was central, I think it's left hand side or something like that. I can't remember. But if I put it central, Ringo's voice would change. And it's that thing. So why would I solo? Why would I make? Why would I solo it? And then the bass changes the voice. Anyway, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I learned about frequencies and became his ears and became we did a We did a project at Pete Townsend at Hit Factory in New York, and Pete, who to his own admission, has hearing issues <laughs> why, why should we be surprised <laughs> um, He said to me, i mean recently he gave me his book, and he's one of the few people that he mentioned me in his book, like because i was hidden i was a, i was the person that didn't exist, and no one wanted not everyone wanted George martin no one wanted George martin's son of course which is listen, you yeah, 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 yeah. i course. wouldn't yeah. And so I was seen as this precocious kind of like w- w- wannabe hanging around a studio person. I had to be very careful not to, you know, not to interfere at the same time I would have to be responsible to protect my dad. And there was a time where, where bands, he was working I mean, because we spent a lot of time Monster out in the Caribbean. He was working on an 80s band called Ultravox, who were very nice guys. And the bass player came out of the studios as he was going into the studios. And... Um, the bass player goes, uh, the bass player goes. How's it going in there, George? Is it going okay? And he went, two boiled eggs. <laughs> and he thought, what do you have for lunch? He thought was the question. Yeah. And the bass player realised that maybe you couldn't hear as well as he thought, you know. Yeah. But the thing about hearing, and I've talked to people about this, is that your hearing ability doesn't mean you can make good records or bad records. For sure. And even though when my dad lost his hearing, he could sense things. And yeah, you can her. feel it. I spoke to Bob Clearman that this last week actually we're talking yes. about this, I mean, he's an amazing mix engineer, and he knows that he he may have not have not not much top end as he had before, but he knows he doesn't make bright bright sounding records. Mm-hmm. He, he's trying to work out why that is.
5: Yeah, I think that it's more we hear it not just with our ears; we hear it in a different way.
3: Yeah, yeah. We did a I did a I did a forum actually with Andrew Shep's, and for kids actually saying. You know, even if you're worried about your hearing, it doesn't mean it shouldn't inhibit you from making doing this for a living. Yeah. Like, just because you might have perfect hearing or perfect pitch doesn't mean you're going to make great records. We know that. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. like Chris Thomas is going to hear out of one ear. Yeah. You know, and he's made great records. Yeah, and there are great, um,
5: you know, uh, Chuck Close is a great yeah. artist and he's blind. Yeah. So, a yeah. <laughs> you
3: know,
0: yes. great visual
5: artist. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah.
3: Exactly. So it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing.
0: We have to take a quick break here, and then we'll be back with more from Rick Rubin and Giles Martin.
1: Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Listen to the Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase and Company.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity Presents... Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
6: Brought to you by T-Mobile for Business. Now is the time for 5G business. These days, We have robots that do brain surgery. You can ask an AI chatbot to write your term paper. But yesterday, as I was driving fruitlessly around the parking lot of my local supermarket, all I could think was, why can't someone come up with a gizmo that just directs me to the nearest available parking spot? Well, it turns out that's just the kind of solution that T-Mobile for Business can come up with. From smarter cities to safer industrial workplaces, 5G can enable a better, more connected world. And T-Mobile for Business has the network built for the way business and tech converge today. Right now, workforces are more widely distributed than ever. Industries are ripe for disruption, and tech is advancing at a rate that requires vast and secure connectivity. Offering the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile is the best network partner to take your business to the next level. Now is the time to business bravely and start building your future. Today, go to tmobile.com/slash now to learn more.
0: We're back with more from Rick Rubin and Giles Martin. Tell me about Montserrat. Well, Montserrat,
3: (laughs) Montserrat was my dad's dream. Like, it's that thing. It's like my dad always did this thing. And did he? Did he build the studio? He built the studios. Tell me about this. Well. He wanted to build a studio. So he, my, my dad's always wanted to build places where things happen. So yes. he, was in, he, was, he was at Abbey Road. I was, he, got, he started working at Abbey in 1950. He left in 66, I think. He was still in the Beatles and he built Air Studios, which is a place in Knoxville Circus.
5: Which I visited and it was incredible. It was a great studio. It was, incredible. A, it was a fantastic
3: studio. Was it formerly a church? No, no, okay. Air Studios now as a church, that was the one in the 90s. The first one was in Oxford Circus. Oh, Service. so I was, I yeah. was at the yeah, one in the Yeah, that was 90s. right. So that's, yeah. a, that's another one of his legacy studios. Yeah. During the London time, he decided he had some money, which he thought, well, this is very uncomfortable for my dad to have yes. any money. So he went, he went you know, I'm going to go and build... He was to build the studios on a, on a ship at one stage. He, he bought a Norwegian, he was to buy a Norwegian ferry wow. and build the studios on that. That sounds incredible. But then he realized the engine noise would get him, that we wouldn't give him what he wanted. So yeah. then he looked in the Caribbean. Montserrat was an, it was an island which no one went to because it was a volcanic island. It wasn't very touristy. And he went, perfect, okay. Difficult to get to. And he built the studios. And he built the studios, which was what became, was one of the best studios in the world at the time. It had an e-desk. Then later on, SSL, just when that came in. For an SSLG series, what year did he build it? Do you know? 1977 was when it started being built. It opened maybe yeah, it opened 78, 79, mm-hmm. and it was. a studio, it was the same as the studios he had in London, and it became a. Place, it matched
5: the footprint or same.
3: Same same idea. Yes. So same. But disc. it was living. There were living. There were there were villas being rented, and we had a house that people stayed in. Residential studios. The Neve desk was a custom Neve desk. I think there were only three built. One went to AM, one went to Air, and one went to one still at Air at Lyndhurst has has one desk. Amazing desk. And it became a destination for 80s recordings. Yes. So most of the police records were made there. Mm-hmm. You know, famously that if you look at the video for uh I can't, remember, I can't, there's there's the a few of their videos, you see you see him Sting dancing on the desk or, you know, there's that, there's the, or outside, you know, in the West Indies, it's all ill Montserrat, Elton John recorded there, uh, Michael Jackson went there, Stevie Wonder was there, Earth, Wind & Fire, Lou Reed, Duran Duran, Iron Maiden, Jimmy Buffett did Volcano, did, a, did wow. a, about Montserrat. Yes. You know, every single artist went to Montserrat. And this is the interesting, this thing I talk to Universal about now. I go, okay, you've got Abbey Road Studios, you've got these studios, you don't have to make money out of studios. You have enough money anyway. I know this is going back to the, the kid that wants to feed the birds and not, not go studios is where people make make music, not where we make money. You can make money out of music, but let's make them creative spaces that artists want to go it inspires to. inspires people. It inspires people, correct. Yes. And that's what my dad did. My dad probably lost about, it was eventually destroyed by a volcano. <laughs> you know, don't build studio next to an, extra, an extra active volcano, be one of the rules. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and he probably lost about $2 million on Montserrat. Wow. And it, was, it became the destination of record. I think there were tax breaks, I think, funny enough. I think when you were in those days, if you were recording elsewhere, and it was when people sold records. And so every artist went there. And as a kid... I kind of lived on Montserrat, you know, me and my sister, me and my sister. It was strange. You know what it was? It was really interesting. I was at boarding school. I went to, it was, I was a teenager. And they would fly, me and my sister would fly out on a plane, you know, as, as as, I saw quite as unaccompanied minors and you change to Antigua and then get the plane. My parents would meet meet me in Antigua and then we'd, we'd go to Montserrat. And it was kind of funny it was also kind of lonely as well because, you know, everyone was with their mates, but we were with Earth, Wind & Fire, yeah. you know, we'd have been having dinner with these, like, you know, I, you know, remember this, like, band, little river band, Australian band. I remember spending a lot of time having dinners with them, or or Ultravox, as I mentioned, or, you know, Paul McCartney came out there. You know, we knew the police really well because they were there, and you kind of, we, we were, I was always on duty on the studio. But for me, a studios was. And were you there with your whole family? Yeah, my my mum, my my I had a sister. Mm-hmm. For us, it was kind of interesting because. I always remember, like, I'd, go, I'd be able to go into the control in the studios when there was no one there. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a Fender Stratocaster on a stand in the live room. And I, I knew I was allowed to touch it. And i like, you know, one day I'll have a Fender Stratocaster. One day I might have a guitar like this. Yeah. And then I found out years later, it wasn't actually, it was, it was a copy. It, wasn't actually, it was actually, like someone, <laughs> someone just stuck a Fender Stratocaster like a Japanese thing. But it was, um, it was an amazing experience. The th- I think the thing for me it's funny looking back at it, you know, cause we're here in your wonderful studio. it's light and airy. Montserrat wasn't like that. The control room had a window in it, which overlooked the sea, which is beautiful. It was the t- Montserrat at the top of the hill next to the volcano, which then erupted. <laughs> and you could look down the mountain and see the sea and see the sunset. Yes. In fact, Stevie Wonder was there and said to my dad, this is a beautiful sunset. My dad went, yes, it is. And then realized that Stevie Wonder was just making a joke. He knew what time it was. He That's just, incredible. Yeah, it's just really, like, you know, incredible. but it was, but then the live room, had no windows at all, you know, yeah. like a 70s studios. And they yeah. got the whole vibe, a bit like casinos. The whole idea about studios is no one wanted to know what time it was. Yeah. So, I mean, the Stones, the Stones did a couple of albums there, I think. And they would go there and like, they'd be up till four in the morning. And But then all the, there's a kid, all the interesting things that happens about, because it's residential, people like, like the drugs and the, and you know me and my sister was we we were staying in our house, which was where the we had a house which was a, which was a guest house, an old guest house it had six bedrooms going down a corridor, and that's where mainly the roadies and extra because it wasn't that posh, and artists would stay in villas that were rented. And I said to my sister, "Do you, do you want to get a backgammon?" And it was Lucy, and she's great, and she's she's two years older than me, and I, and she goes, "Yeah." And so we opened up the backgammon case, and I swear, Rick, half of this quite large backgammon case had a big bag of white powder in it okay I mean like a like a big bag of white powder yes. and I went to my sister and I went that's drugs <laughs> I must have been about 11 years old and I stuck my finger because that's what in the, the cop shows you remember that's what yeah, you yeah, like yeah. see you stick your finger and you start like I was obviously dabbing cocaine the age 11 <laughs> <laughs> and my parents came through and they like, what do you doing I went I found some drugs they were like for us it was like a cop show yeah. and they are like oh my god you know this is and my dad was I like, grabbed it and, and immediately tossed this bag into the garden. You had all these hummingbirds flying around and you know, like smoking cigarettes and so, you know, actually I used to be a hummingbird now I'm an actor or whatever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but, but that's you know, this is the, it was for us, it was, kind of, it was kind of normal. It was a weird thing. You know, we were, we were very kind of British as I am a kid and in an unusual circumstance. Yes. And tell me about the, the place. Was there a little town close by? There was a, there was a, the Montserrat had it had 11,000 people on it at the time. Mm-hmm. It has less people on it now because because the eruption it has a town called Plymouth, which was the main town, which was down the road, if you like. British Island, the colonial British town. Interesting, I went back after the volcano erupted, and I was allowed back in because we were in the studios. And I went there with the head of police, and where, the ch- where there was a clock tower in the, in the town square, a bit like um, Back to the Future. Yeah. And you could stand next to the face of the clock because the whole of the volcanic wow. ash had piled up. Wow! It was a, it's an amazing. It was an amazing thing. It, you know, there's a great, there's a great film actually on that this great woman director's made on Montserrat and the legacy of Montserrat. And my dad, I found it very sad. My dad's stand at the end. It was his dream, and he made his. The great thing about my dad, he made his dreams. So beautiful, you know. He did. He was, and you met him. He was a yes. lovely guy. Yes. And and he he stands at the end. He's very very old. He's like you know. He's not the George Martin people remember, and he's there standing on the derelict side of what was his dream, the studios. And he goes, well, the thing is, you know, we all turn to dust in the end. Yes. You know, we all, that's the thing. We all turn. And it's like, he's fine. He's yes. fine. I found it pointless and sad, but going to Montserrat and we still, you know, have the studios there for what it's worth. If anyone wants to buy studios in Montserrat, let me know. No, yeah. we have a, still have no, a studio there. It's a, it's a derelict. No, it's a derelict property. I understand. With things falling through it. But it was a dream. It was a. It was. It was this dream that happened, and the and and people said to me, "Would you do it again?" I go, "Well, no. It's, times different now. You don't need to. We can go with these microphones we have and go to a place and record something now without having to build a prop, build a place. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because it was very tough to do for him, and so many people have so many amazing memories of their time there. Beautiful. Do you know
5: what? spark the idea for your dad to build a studio in that place
3: he wanted to build a studios which was somewhere completely different he wanted to build somewhere where artists could go and be away from everything else
5: yeah and do you think that's because he had spent so much time in london making music that the idea of doing it elsewhere was a uh... It would be inspiring to him, and thus he assumed it would be inspiring to other people who've been doing it for a long time as well.
3: Yeah, I think there's that, and I think there's also, my dad had an element of punk in about him as well, funnily enough, that despite his stature and the fact he looked a bit like Prince Philip, and the fact he spoke like he did, like me, I sound like my dad, and I'm the same. There's an anarchy that lies beneath us.
5: Yeah. Well, you can tell from the comedy albums he worked on. You can can see there's more there. And so
3: with EMI, for instance, my dad, his voice wasn't his voice. He changed. My dad was a cockney when he grew up. He was like, all right, come down. Wow. And he changed his voice because he couldn't get it. He wouldn't have got ahead in the music industry without being an English gentleman. And became this, almost changed his persona. He was actually more working class than at least two of the Beatles were. Amazing. Most people don't realize about it. No, amazing. So, So he went against EMI, you know, even on, on so many different levels. He didn't believe in, he didn't like the corporate world. Yes. He, he liked the artistic world. Yes. You know, so he rebelled against Abbey Road, built an air standard for associated independent recorders. He wanted to be independent. Yes. There's even a Beatles Christmas message where they go, George has gone independent, you know, because he wanted to be away from that yes. system of... The factory if you like. And then he wanted to build a place where artists could go and be away from the record label. And be free. And be free and make and it worked for him. I think the records that were made in Montserrat probably made a, you know, a half, what, one half billion dollars worth of, you know, whatever it is. I mean, like, and Brothers in Arms alone was, you know, was one of did the he biggest.
5: Did he produce all of the music at of Montserrat or no, other, stu- other artists got no, to work there? Other artists
3: worked there, you know, and, the, and, it's, and it's funny meeting people from that era. Like, there's a bunch of, you know, engineers and producers, like Hugh Padgham and Neil Dorsman and yes, that era of. Yes. And they couldn't believe in those days, and it sounds so hard. They would go somewhere where you'd have to get a plane to Antigua get either a charter plane or a small boat to get to this place and they'd walk into this room and it would be like walking into one of the best studios in the world and my dad loved that he loved the idea I mean there's the stories that happened in Montserrat I mean there were drivers for instance that would drive the band around and one of the there was always people falling out with one of the drivers fell out with another driver uh, or fill out with a band member. Probably one of the, one of the, the musicians was rude to him. He stole the pool, ball, the white pool ball from the pool table in the studios because he knew the band liked playing pool, and they couldn't get another <laughs> white pool ball. No, because no, it was it was <laughs> nice. because you, can't, it, you can't get anything can't, on you, the you, island. Yeah, you can't yeah. get anything on. Yeah. island. Well, like,
5: how long would it take to get supplies of any kind if you needed something?
3: A couple of weeks. Yeah. So, so, like just equipment and stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, just imagine the logistics of bands going out there and flying flight cases of yes. stuff and. Yes. Yeah. I've
5: been making albums in different places in the world, yeah. and it's still a yeah. it's still a challenge.
3: And yeah, and 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 in those days, it was more because also yes, the yeah. scale of what was needed was and so much bigger than it is now. Don't forget that. Yeah. Shifting, shifting the tapes Absolutely. back and forth. Yeah, it's uh, it was, but it was it was it was worth it.
5: Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, I love it. Yeah, I love it. It does sound like a dream come true.
3: Yeah, and like most of this life, the main problems that weren't actually the bands, it was like problems with the band's girlfriends and managers and you know, people getting bored and yeah. getting drunk and falling into swimming pools. And mm. I remember that as a kid, that was always the, there was always a drama happening with someone getting drunk and crashing a car or it was always that kind of thing that would happen. Mm-hmm. But I think what artists liked about it, I mean, I spoke to Elton about it. He liked the fact that he wasn't, it was such a, he wasn't anyone there. Yes. Because that's why my dad chose it. Because it was yes. an island which was really very rural, if if you like. Great. No one, and and also because it was a, a very black island, that's sometimes ridiculous because the West Indians, but you have to bear in mind the West Indians has a huge sense of colonialism. Yes. And it wasn't touristy. So only if like if Stevie Wonder came here, that was that would be interesting. But if Elton John was running the streets or Sting was running the streets, if they knew who he was, they didn't care about who he was. Yes. So Elton John loves a chicken shack. You know, yeah. everything was like, there's no proper of restaurants. Elton used to love this chicken shack. Yeah. You know, he used to go down there and it was bizarre. I mean, it, I remember as a kid, there was one boat. <laughs> there was one like, it's like a 35 foot sailing boat that a guy called Ken used to take people around to a beach on. And we went with Elton and Renata was the tape op was she was the assistant engineer and then I got back to school and then it was like Elton's marrying Renata and I was like they weren't even together yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's funny like being as a kid you're yes. like you you live this kind of weird you yes. know and now you know like, I end up working on Elton John life story film you know you go wow. and see the see his version of the events but it's kind of and she was great and she, I still actually I still hear from her but it's so strange as a kid you I think one thing is you realize you work around musicians or grow around musicians, you realize that adults really aren't as, aren't as bright as you think they are. That's <laughs> something <laughs> <laughs> I stand by today. Yeah. I think in general that's the case. Yeah. It's,
5: not, it's not, we don't we, relegate that to musicians. Yeah, like yeah. People are just crazy.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a little crazy goes a long way. That's the other thing. Yeah, That's the other thing, you know, that's there's a acceptance and, and that's what my father had. He was he had acceptance and liberalism to his approach. And, yes. and he didn't, you know that the preconceived ideas of George Martin and the reality were two very different things. Yes. And like, you know, and you know, he just loved music. You know, it's like, you know his closest ally was Quincy Jones, because yes. they were two sides of the same coin. Yes. Interesting enough.
0: We have to pause for another quick break, but we'll be right back with the rest of Rick's conversation with Giles Martin.
4: a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA Member, FDIC, Copyright 2024. JPMorgan Chase & Co.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
6: Brought to you by T-Mobile for Business. Now is the time for 5G business. These days, we have robots that do brain surgery. You can ask an AI chatbot to write your term paper. But yesterday... As I was driving fruitlessly around the parking lot of my local supermarket, all I could think was, why can't someone come up with a gizmo that just directs me to the nearest available parking spot? Well, it turns out that's just the kind of solution that T-Mobile for Business can come up with. From smarter cities to safer industrial workplaces, 5G can enable a better, more connected world. And T-Mobile for Business has the network built for the way business and tech converge today. Right now, workforces are more widely distributed than ever. Industries are ripe for disruption, and tech is advancing at a rate that requires vast and secure connectivity. Offering the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile is the best network partner to take your business to the next level. Now is the time to business bravely and start building your future today. Go to tmobilecom slash now to learn more.
0: We're back with the rest of Rick Rubin's conversation with Giles Martin. Can we listen to something from, uh, from the new album?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Do you, want to hear, do you want to hear a mix or do you want to hear the sessions? Rick?
5: Whatever you recommend. I want to hear what you think is going to be most interesting.
3: Uh, well, it depends on it's like a new mix or a session. is two different things. What's your favorite song of Volvo?
5: I like them all. I, I like the albums. I don't. I don't listen to songs that way. I listen to whole. Um, I listen to whole projects typically.
3: Yeah, well, that's hard to play one track. Listen to uh, she said because I think that's quite a. Great. This is quite interesting. This I think it's just it's one of those songs that you forget about, but it's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
7: And she's making
5: The fades.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's important.
5: What would it be like if you left them longer? Or, or you think that's also part of maintaining what it is?
3: That's part of. That's part of what the band wanted. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? it's part That's, of the where, fact, it, that's, that's, where, that's where the where song ends. Yeah, yeah. That's where the song ends. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people ask me about that, and quite often they're right as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the yeah, yeah. thing. Is there's a reason why the fade happens there. And yeah. you know, People go, Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. what happens after that? And you go, yeah. well, to be honest with you, not much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, on the outtakes and stuff. I mean, I never put outtakes on that we should just like, here's the song with just no fade on it. Because then it's like, you have to hear the whole song to get to the bit that you want to hear. Yeah. I try and match all of that stuff. So I, I don't in a bizarre way, I kind of like the idea of people not noticing I've done nothing. Yes. I always have this theory. I worked on this George Harrison Film Living the Material World with Scorsese. Mm -hmm. And Martin Scorsese, like a lot of people rightfully, will say, you know, what the hell is this guy doing? Why is he remixing stuff? You know, don't. And after four weeks, they fired me from the project. I was like, okay, cool. I don't mind. I mean, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what you know. And then Olivia Harrison phoned me and said, we listened to the stuff. It it sounds really bad in in the cinema, in our playbacks. And I said, well, you, (laughs) you did fire me. And they went, okay, well, you and Martin used to meet and we met in Delane Lee which is a film studios in, in Soho in London and I played him All Things Must Pass and there was he had a button on a desk the A and B in, in the room and he went this is the one I remember I went this is the one that we've mixed with the film and he went "Why well, don't understand I he goes well because music isn't necessarily always the way you remember it to be <laughs> and that kind of weird I kind of like the idea of mixing it how you remember it to be Yes. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And that's like, I want you to listen to White Album. This is how I remember it being in my perfect world and not some fandango modern remix of it. Yes, it is. Do you know is what is. I mean? That's, and it's kind of, there's an arrogance that comes with that, I suppose. Because it's like, well, maybe it's how I remember it being. But, but there is the thing where you go, it's never quite how you remember it. And sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse. Mm-hmm. But as long as it makes you feel the same thing, as yeah. long as you get the same, that's the key. It's yeah. like, you know, that makes listening,
5: you. F- listening to that, it felt. I felt a rhythm, it almost felt like it was faster. I know it's not faster. Yeah, it's not. But there was something something. I was hearing something that gave it the feeling of forward motion that
3: I don't remember being in the original. And it felt good. Yeah, no, but it's, but also this other thing is like it sounds younger. And I don't mean it sounds younger, yes. it, it sounds like the band's younger. Yes you kind of what I want to get is that these are 25 year olds playing in a room and they'll always be 25 year olds playing in a room yes they, know, they are they are younger than Harry Styles is now yeah okay and so and that's the thing about records and recording what I do is like it is time travel I, you're going back to that time when you're, we're listening to a 20, bunch of 25 year olds in a room in the same way that we recorded them now they'd be a bunch of 25 you know a yeah. bunch of 25 year olds it's timeless that's the whole point and so if you can go wait a second these guys are really like pumping and hitting their instruments and Yes, they are. That's because they're a great band, and that's what you want to hear. Yes. That's the exciting bit. And I I was really lucky, because the first thing I did really (laughs) was the Love Project. And I'm good at, if I'm good at one thing, I'm good at combining things in my head, like in that sort of process. But this this, this will work with this. Mm -hmm. And the Love Show kind of starts with the drum solo from... The end, which goes into "Get Back," it's like this, there's this drums, the drum solo, Ringo's drum it goes in the end of "Get Back," and there's a string crescendo, and I knew in my head this was gonna no work, but then I did what people would do, where I put a grid out, and so it was like it was 122.5 BPM, and it had like do 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 do, and it re- that was the first, thing, and it sounded terrible. It's like Ringo was in time, and he never, and Ringo is a great drummer, but he should never be put. No. It's his feel is that the thing. That's yes. the thing. In the yes. same way that people go, you know, do you ever tune the vocals? Or it's like, no. Yes. No, not, not, for, it's not, not for any moral standpoint, just the fact it's not going to sound as good. Yeah. It's not going to be as good. Yeah, it's,
5: it's not going to be, it'll be less believable.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And there's things like, you know, when I did Let It Be, and when we did the Get Back, I mixed Let It Be, and there's a thing on the piano, there's a mistake on the piano I heard. For the first time, was like, great. I mean, if it's been there. You know, that's, that's, that's a human playing the piano. Yeah. You know.
5: Have you ever DJed? Because what you're describing in knowing what works with what, that's really what a DJ does, yeah, what yeah. a good DJ does.
3: No, I've always thought about it. I've always yeah, thought yeah. about it. I've it's thought, fun. Yeah, it's that. And, it's, and I was in a place the other day and there was a great DJ. I was thinking that ability to, I just don't think my brain works fast enough. <laughs> uh,
5: uh, uh, uh. Have you seen uh, ABBA Voyage? No. Oh, worth seeing because yeah. it's truly like time traveling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, no, they come out no, on stage, and yeah, it's yeah, 1979.
3: I've been meaning, be, be meaning to go and see surreal. it. Yeah, I'd it's be, surreal. Yeah. I've been meaning to go and see it. I just haven't haven't gone to see it yet. I, I kind of like, it's funny. It's that, and obviously, because the Beatles, I get asked about this kind of stuff all the time. I think we can't cheat time, but we can travel time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah You can visit. And anything, <laughs> but also, anything that makes doesn't anything anyone like you go to Abba Voyage, and if it makes you feel elated, and, and you're there with them, that. that and anything that makes people feel stuff is great, by me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't harm you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fun. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. Yeah. It's
5: not, I, I don't think it's uh, sacrilegious
3: at all. <laughs> no, no, no. And also, we, we can be the most people that sort of have pretentious views on this. Are people aren't people that on there are preservation on voyages of discovery and learning. Do And what I mean by that is like, it's like you know, my kids listen to music in a completely different way that I did. I have two teenage daughters. And they'll go, hey, have you heard this band? They're really good. They're called Fleetwood Mac. And you go, yeah, I have. They go, how come you've heard of them? And you, go, well, and you don't want to kind of say because they've been around. since uh, yeah. But it's like, that's great. Yeah. That's great. You know, it's like, yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I remember my daughter saying, listen to The Chain. And like going, this this, the, you know, the breakdown, of the bass line, the bass mm-hmm. section, this should be used for television programs. Like this was used for the beginning of Grand Prix in Britain, Formula One, but <laughs> for all of my life, that was the, it to so it's like, funny. You know, and it's, you just go, and it's the same way if Revolver comes on, you know, I remember, she, we were listening to Olivia Rodriguez. I mean, that's a good album. Mm-hmm. And then we are listening to Arctic Monkeys. And then Yes, Yesterday comes on in the car. Mm-hmm. And I go, Yesterday? And my daughter goes, it's a good song, Dad. Yeah. And you go, Yeah, it is. It's timeless. That's the point.
5: Yeah, I can remember when I was a little kid going to the record store. At that time, I was only buying seven-inch singles. Um, There were albums, obviously, in the store, but I was buying songs. So all of the things that I were buying were things that I heard on the radio, and they were just like, they were the songs of the moment. Yeah. And I didn't really understand what all the other records were. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I heard a Chuck Berry song on the radio, and then I went to the store and I and I got the Chuck Berry single and I went to the front and I said, has Chuck Berry made an album yet?
3: <laughs> yeah. and,
5: and they walked me over to this yeah. section and Chuck Berry had 50 albums. Yeah. And it was like, that was my first experience yeah. of so like, oh, oh, so this, it's not only just the yeah. single now.
3: <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, but that's, you know, it's great. It's great. Like even now discovering new stuff or I love when someone puts on music. Yeah opposed to me being freed from it. You know yes. I and mean? you go, What's this? Yeah. And just being open to That's like the best. Yeah, it's, the, it's best the best thing. It's like, and what is this? This is great.
5: Yeah. I also I I get mixed up between records that I've worked on and not worked on just because I listen to so much. You worked music. on most of them. <laughs> Usually yes. But sometimes I'll be somewhere and I'll hear something it's like wow, where did we make this? And then I'm thinking, it's like, and then I'm listening closer, and it's like, no, no, that's Led Zeppelin. I wasn't yeah. there. It's like, it's so weird. And then the other side, I was at this hi-fi convention, and I heard this song that was incredible, and I had no idea what it was, and I shazammed it, and it was something that I produced, <laughs> and just completely yeah, blocked it
3: out. Yeah, I, mean, or you get, I get told about something I've done. Yeah. And I don't, I will go, or you, you know, you know when you, and just like, I don't know you don't, you, you just move on. No, you, you, make, you
5: make stuff and you move on. And yeah, exactly. There's a big volume of stuff going yeah,
3: by. Yeah, it's, but it's just, it's just the fact, that just, just to be in work is nice. I mean, you know, you know <laughs> yeah, there's a yeah, the yeah. thing, you can't forget that.
5: Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Rick. A pleasure. I hope it was okay with you. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, It was I, fantastic. And I look forward to us doing this
3: again whenever we're, whenever it, the stars it, align. Yeah, listen, listen, I will be happy to talk to you recorded or not recorded. I should yeah. do the same thing for you now. It's my turn to, to ask you questions. I would love to. We'll do yeah. that. We'll do yeah. that.
0: Thanks again to Giles Martin for sharing some stories and the process behind remixing the Beatles' Revolver. You can hear that new Revolver mix along with other songs he's produced at brokenrecordpodcast.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Taladay, and Eric Sam. Our editor is Sophie Crane. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin+. Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond.
2: Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury.
6: Not just because we love hearing from great musicians, we do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better.